to this episode of the Tennis IQ Podcast. I'm Brian Lomax. And I'm Josh Berger. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking a little bit more about routines, but actually a certain type of routine that um, we haven't talked as much about. And those are post-match and post-practice routines. Um, And this is really um, what we're going to talk about in this conversation are some of the both physical and psychological things that can be done after a performance. So these um, these might include certain things that you decide to, to build in. Maybe it's um, five, 10 minutes after the fact um, in terms of getting your body to that point of, of recovery and starting that recovery process, but also talking more about the reflective portion in terms of journaling, in terms of scouting, in terms of thinking about how you can use this performance, whether positive, negative, neutral, and generally, as we know, there's some positive and some negative in, in every every time you're out there, um, but, but look to build upon and learn from each experience. So um, in this discussion, Brian and I will be talking about some of these different aspects, both in terms of how you can physically recover and move on to whatever comes next after a match or practice, um, and also think about, um, from a mental standpoint, um, what, what you can do to set yourself up best for the future after a performance. So to begin, Josh, maybe one thing we should touch on is, um, what's the benefit of doing this? Sort of the, like the what's in it for me type of thing. Like, why, why, would, I, why would I do this? And, and I'm sure you have some, some things to answer that question with. Um, and I think there are many benefits to doing it, but perhaps they're more subtle because it's more about recovery and learning than it is about direct influence on the performance. Certainly what we do in that recovery, that post-match or post-practice routine will have an impact on performance, but I think it feels almost more subtle because that's going to come up later. Um, so I think that's, you know, one thing we want to help people understand is, all right, what, why, why should we, we do this? Um, personally, I do believe that the more that we pay attention to our needs after a practice or a match, it does set us up for more success going forward. Um, certainly that is the case as one gets older, if we're going to be talking about stretching and foam rolling, those things tend to uh, be way more important as you're as you get older. Uh, but developing good habits when you're younger certainly is important. So I think if we could look at this routine as not just about recovery, which is important, but we're recovering because we want to improve physical performances, mental performances in the future. And we don't do that if we're not taking care of some of that after a match um, or practice. One book that I found really helpful for me in terms of how one begins to think about this is Jim Lair's The Power of Full Engagement. And he more or less turns the paradigm of time management upside down and says that you actually shouldn't be managing your time first. You should be managing your energy first, and then you essentially design your schedule around that design your schedule with activities that expend energy and then activities that recover energy. And I think sometimes we live in a society that is very focused on being productive, practicing all the time, 
um, you know, staying focused all the time. And, and so it's a lot of energy expenditure. And we, I don't think we pay enough attention to the energy recovery aspect. And this is an opportunity to, to, to do that. Um, and so I think what we're going to talk about today is what are some activities that one could put into a post-practice, post-match routine? Maybe there are some basics. There are certainly some things that one could do that are next level on that type of thing, especially on the physical side. Um, but I think we also want to pay attention to the, the mental and emotional sides of this. So I think that's what's in it for, for people. You know, why you would want to do this is uh, I think it only helps your future performances um, in all areas of, of performance. What, what's your reaction to that, Josh? What, what would you say is uh, some other benefits of this? Yeah, I mean, I, I sort of see it. Um, in two different ways. Number one, there's the the learning aspect and the growing. And we've talked about how through journaling and through reflecting on our experiences, that's how you can, can learn from them and ultimately improve. So that's similar to what you were saying. And then um, as it relates to the physical side, it's, um, you know, injury prevention. Um, you know, I think we, we know that by being a lot more diligent about stretching and about foam rolling and some of these other things that we'll get into, um, you, you end up lowering the chance of an injury um, down, you know, in that, in that moment or down the road. So um, by, by I, I like to think of it as an investment where you're investing maybe um, 10 minutes after a match for um, stretching and then you're investing, you know, a certain amount of time for just looking after your body. And that investment doesn't, doesn't um, eliminate the risk of an injury, but it certainly decreases it. So, um, you know, you're, you're putting that towards um, putting your body in the best place um, and giving you the best possible chance for um, whether maybe it's after a match in a tournament and you have the next tournament or you have the next match later in that same day, or maybe it's, it's the evening and you just finish your match and that next match is at 9 a.m. the following morning. Um, I'm sure some of our listeners have been in that sort of a situation. So, you know, time is ticking. You have, um, you know, whatever time it is in the evening and you, you want to get a diligent um, recovery in, but you also want to make sure you get a good night's sleep um, leading up to that, that following match. So it's thinking about how can you maximize your time and how can you um, put your body in a good position? So there's that physical aspect, but, um, as I think we'll talk about more in this, it's, it really is a routine. We don't want to be leaving things up to chance here. If you can prepare ahead of time and you have that planned out so that at the end of your two and a half hour match, you're not trying to remember all the different pieces of the recovery, but this is something that you've planned for and you've prepared for, maybe written out in a checklist, um, then it's a lot easier to follow that when maybe you're physically and mentally exhausted at that point after the match. So I think that's that's a big piece of it in terms of preparing for both the physical and the um, the mental side of recovery ahead of time, um, so that you're not leaving things up to chance and not trying to remember things and come up with it all on the spot in maybe a more depleted state after directly after performance. And I think our conversation is perhaps well timed because uh, even for our adult players, if some people are probably preparing for nationals for their league teams probably missed some of the sectional and district stuff already but um you know in those situations you're going to have potentially multiple matches in a day you're going to have certainly 
matches over the course of a series of days and your recovery can really you know this post-match routine can really make a difference in terms of how you feel and your energy levels your mental energy levels for for the matches that are coming up um certainly applicable to tournament players and uh certainly applicable to college players even in the fall there will be invitationals in which players will be playing multiple matches in a day and multiple uh days so um you know hopefully this is well timed to to talk about that so let's begin josh with the basics if you were to help a player structure a post-match routine let's say they really know experience with it or they maybe sometimes they do this and sometimes they do that you already mentioned writing some of this down but if we were to give them sort of like some scaffolding to begin the routine how would that look to you yeah i mean i would break it down based on time um so you know thinking about that portion right after a match um and then in the couple of hours that that follow that so right after a match um you know trying to hydrate it if if needed or you know get a little bit of food in you but going straight into trying to get into stretching you know pretty pretty quickly after um which which is generally more static stretching um you know post post performance rather than the dynamic um stretches that a player would would often do leading up to a a performance um so getting into some stretching um you know which should be really a part of our of our you know post-match or post-practice routine um and, uh, you know, trying to really stretch out every part of your body. I think a good way to do that, you know, there's a million different ways to stretch and, uh, you know, different different routines there. But um, I think a good way is either starting at the top of your body or starting at the body, bottom of your body and then just working your way up or down from there um, just so that you don't forget any, um, any of the important pieces or um, important stretches there. Um, and then from there, I mean, there's, there's many other things that can be involved. There's foam rolling there. Um, there are ice baths, potentially there's, um, using bands as well. Um, there's massage. Um, there's a lot of physical aspects that can be added on, um, depending on maybe the needs of a player or, um, an injury that a player might be dealing with. So that's more on the the physical side. And then um, we touched a little bit, but definitely want to be journaling and reflecting on that experience, thinking about, um, and this doesn't need to be a long process, but thinking about what went well, what didn't go so well, what can be learned. Um, And, you know, maybe that doesn't take place right, right after the fact, maybe that's an hour, three hours. Um, I think we talked about in our journaling episode um, that we probably don't want to be waiting more than 24 hours on that. So we want to make sure it's still fresh in our mind. Um, So, you know, having some journaling aspect and then maybe some sort of a scouting piece. Um, I think we all know that we, these players that we play um, are, there's a a high likelihood that we might play the same player again. Um, So thinking about, okay, what were some things I was trying to do strategically? Uh, Maybe they have a weaker forehand or backhand and you were trying to hit, you know, the, the majority of shots to that side, or they really, they struggled with their backhand pass or um, their high forehand volley or whatever, whatever it is, um, or their second serve is, um, 
as weak. So, so whatever it is, trying to not jot down a couple notes because perhaps you might play that player in a couple of months or in a couple of years, or if you're in a team, a USTA team, high school, college, um, there's also a likelihood that one of your teammates could play that player. So um, wrapping, you know, trying to include that scouting piece. Again, this, n- none of these steps need to take that long. So um, in addition to all the physical, to the physical side of recovery, which is probably most talked about when recovery is mentioned um, by coaches or parents, um, also making sure that we're not neglecting the, the journaling piece and that scouting piece and also just reflecting on, you know, what we learn from it. And also I think that piece is what comes next. So if we have a next match coming up, maybe journaling a little bit about um, our approach going into that, that match, or if we lost and the tournament is finished for us, um, thinking about more, okay, what comes next in terms of maybe that next tournament or the next week or month of practice, whatever comes next. And so that it's, I, I think it's also important that athletes, you know, are, are aware and thinking about that, hey, this isn't this one match, this one tournament is not the end all be all. That doesn't end here. Even if we, we lose, you know, we're we're driving home, we're flying home, whatever it is, um, this something comes next, right? There's always that next match. There's always that next tournament. Um, that, you know, thinking about, okay, this this is a lot of data, this is a lot of um, information to work with. Maybe we're happy with it or not. Um, how are we going to move on? How are we going to continue to get better and continue, you know, working on those areas of our game that are going to get it, help get us a little bit closer to where we want to be as a tennis player. I think um, if we go back to some of the basics, um, the stretching, I think is great. I think having a protocol for how you do that, Josh, you mentioned, you know, starting at the top or the bottom, there may even be some programs people could look at, you know, I actually use a stretching protocol from a program called Gymnastic Bodies. I definitely don't have a gymnastic body, but I'm working on it. Uh, but they have a very specific uh, daily, what they call the daily limber. And it's something I go through every day just as a way to keep things fresh. But it's also, it's really a good recovery one. There's certainly other things that, that people can do there. Um, this is not basic, but partner stretching can be very helpful. Uh, so when you have a team type of thing, that could be something. Although people who are doing the stretching need to be instructed on how to do partner stretching. Um, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the nutrition aspect of things. So there needs to be some sort of uh, eating protein after a match, typically within 30 or minutes or, or 60 minutes. Uh, depending on the kind of weather you're playing in, you may have to do different hydration things. Um, if you're somebody who cramps, you might do something like pickle juice, or I use a product called Hot Shot, uh, which is a spicy drink that helps reduce the number of um, uh, neurons being sent to your muscles. Oftentimes when you're cramping, it's not a hydration issue. It could also be uh, having to do with excess neurons being sent to your muscles and then getting them overly excited. So uh, you know, some spicy drinks or pickle juice can help reduce some of that. Um, so you may want to be thinking about that as part of your recovery plan. Um, so certainly those those are important pieces. Um, you mentioned massage. You know, these days you can get a massage gun. I have one. Um, and I think that's definitely helpful. Even on days where you're playing multiple matches, you just do a little massage gun on your arm. 
perhaps your shoulder, uh, just to feel a little bit better. For me, like hips are super tight, so working on that. Um, that in, in, in conjunction with foam roller uh, can be really, really quite helpful. So there are a lot of different things people can do, you know, based on your own situation um, and whether you have another match that day or, or another one the next day, or maybe you don't even have another one for a few days. Um, that may inform what you do, you know, physically in terms of this, this routine. Um, but let's spend some more time, Josh, on the, the reflection piece. And I mentioned you off air, one of the things that I was thinking about with this particular episode was, um, someone we've mentioned before in the podcast, uh, Dr. Terry Orlick, he actually just, uh, passed away, uh, earlier this month in August. And it made me think about his wheel of excellence. And one of the aspects of that wheel is what he calls constructive evaluation. And a lot of times we'll call it, you know, journaling or, or, or reflective practice. Constructive evaluation is a good term as well. And you've already mentioned a lot of what he, you know, he mentions in his article. You know, what did you do well today? What could be better? Or what needs improvement? What needs refinement? Those are all great questions. Um, certainly you want to think about what you have learned through this process um, and then make sure that you act upon that. It's one thing to write it down. It's another to go out and, and actively decide, well, you know, I learned this specific thing in this match. I, I need to go out and practice it or I need to go out and put that into play in my next match. Can't just ignore the lesson. Um, another thing that he mentioned assessing, and I think we could broaden this a little bit, but he, he came up with some specific performance variables that he mentioned in this article about the Wheel of Excellence. And he mentioned um, assessing the role of your commitment in the match, uh, assessing your attitude, assessing your mental readiness, assessing your focus. And I think these are different performance variables that one could use. I've heard uh, Dr. Jim Lair talk about his work with Dan Jansen, the figure skater. And um, as part of that conversation, he mentioned how they were tracking certain variables that were specific to Dan. I think they said they had like 21, which is a lot to track. Um, but if you're going to be that professional about things, you, you may have a lot of variables. You know, some other ones that I could think of, and I'd be here, curious to hear, Josh, some things that you might have a player focus on, but confidence, self-belief in matches. I think um, depending on the level of the player or what they're going through, perhaps we get them to assess their self-talk during the match. Um, you know, maybe attitude is, is part of that, but I think self-talk is something. Perhaps we have them assess their breathing. How aware of that? Of that were you? Your body language, you know, what kind of presence are you bringing to the court? Um, so, depending on the player, or if you know you know yourself, you may know what your specific, in a way, catalysts are for developing a good performance. Well, let's track those. If you really feel like those are key, then we want to have a good good sense of that. I know, like for me, intensity is a good performance variable for me to track. Um, if I'm a little bit flat. Uh, I don't play as well. When I'm a little bit more energized and a little more intense, a little bit more competitive, 
I tend to, to play better, but I can get into sort of a, a bit of a flat malaise state at times, and it's not that I'm playing poorly, but I may not be competing quite the same. So um, I think we all have different performance variables. You know, is there any come to mind for you, Josh? I think you brought up a lot of good ones there. A um, couple that, from from what you mentioned, I mean, I think the self-talk piece is is, is critical in terms of um, charting that or um, journaling on that and uh, tracking it. Um, and also maybe watching it change over time. I think body language as well mm. is, is a huge one. Um, I think a lot of players, when they know that they're, um, you know, it, they know that they're going to be writing it down or they know that it's going to be tracked, they're maybe more aware of it. Um, we talked in our last episode about going back to the self-talk piece, um, the think aloud protocol, um, which, which one of my, one of the things I like best about it is the self-awareness piece and how that, um, you know, saying your thoughts out loud helps you be more aware of them and maybe stops you from getting into certain traps that you would have gotten into normally. So I, um, those, those two in particular, um, Def, definitely stand out as, uh, but I, I think there there are other things. I mean, I think you can track um, what you know what your nutrition was like during a match, um, and then if and then you can notice how you were feeling during that match. Reflect on, hey, was I really feeling at my optimal levels there? Maybe I need to make adjustments going forward with my nutrition. And I think that's um, as we've talked about in the past through journaling and through this reflective process um, that that leads to some of these adjustments and leads to um, those improvements um, that that need to be made. Because um, you know if if you get off the court and you say to your coach, you say to your parent oh, I, I couldn't play today, nothing was working. Um, there, that's not really much data or much information to work with. That's not a way to actually improve on that performance. But if you can really get into it and say, you know, I started off well, then my energy levels dipped. And then, you know, in that second set, I was getting frustrated with myself um, based on, you know, based on my levels of consistency, but I was able to turn it around mentally and um, through some of my routines. So, you know, the more specific you can be with how you're reflecting on these matches um, with the, you know, the, the, your performance in general, um, the more that you can actually um, look back at, at, at it. And maybe you look back at it, you know, a week down the road or three months down the road. um, And you can, you can, learn and, and make those needed adjustments um, so that you can continue to improve. I mean, I think we've talked about on this show before, it's a, it's a constant process, right? You're constantly tinkering. You're, you're constantly a work in progress. You're constantly trying to make changes that are going to help get you to the type of player that you aspire to be. So you're, you know, never not having this fixed mindset that this is where I'm at. And this is where I'll always be, but okay, I'm, I want to, with each performance, it's more data. And that's another opportunity to learn and reflect and improve and, and grow from these experiences. One attitude I think that would be helpful in that, Josh, is having an attitude of extreme ownership. You mentioned, like the first few things you said were all more like, like excuses in a way, <laughs> right? Things are maybe out of our control or you're just not really diving into your own role in the performance. Oh, I just had yep. a bad day. If you can own it more from the perspective of just in general, 
what could I have done better to make today go well? Um, even if you played great, there's always little things that we can find that we could have done better. Yeah, it could be on the nutrition side or it could have been my, my pre-match could have been better. Uh, something. So we want to make sure that when we are reflecting on performances that we're owning it, we're accepting responsibility for the performance. And even even if that's uh, may from the outside look like, oh, you know, you're being a little bit hard on yourself. We don't mean to be hard in terms of like you're terrible, that type of thing. But to be really reflective and thoughtful about what we could do better and not just say, I think when we say, oh, it was a bad day or just played badly, that's to me a statement that says I'm unwilling to examine what happened today and I'm unwilling to examine my own role in what happened today. It's more of a conversation shutdown um, than it is a reflective uh, you know, practice or, uh, or thought. So we don't want to have that. Let's not be so personally identified with or connected to the performance. It's a performance. It isn't you. We can look at it as a separate event. And if you can distance yourself in a way from, you know, you are not the event. You played the event, you experienced the event, but you are not the event. Um, and if we can have that distance, uh, that, that can be helpful. So I think when beginning a reflective practice, it is helpful to first have the player do it and then debrief with someone. Now, not everybody listening may have that type of person to do that with, and you know, and that's okay. At least you're doing that half of it. But I know, especially when I've worked with people who are just beginning this process, the level of reflection is often not that deep. So even if I haven't seen the match and somebody comes to me, maybe they may send me a picture of their of their journal. I can just look at it and like, okay, I have a ton of questions about this. And just through the conversation, we go deeper, we learn more through that process and we come up with better things going forward. So I think it's important as we engage in reflective practice, if you have someone that you can share this with, and even better if they've seen the match. Um, really helpful to, to go through that. I'm curious your experience with that, Josh. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree. Um, the having some somebody to help you with it and also to, to help hold you accountable a little bit to um, to what you're saying because it's um, it's often not enough to just reflect on it and to say, oh, this is what I want to um, – this is what went well and this is, you know, what didn't go as well. And this is, you know, what I learned and maybe what I'll change. But um, and another part, and I think, I think we talked about this off air, Brian, um, and this is, was also from Terry Orlick's, um book was, was this concept of do side. So not decide, but with a, the, when it starting with um, the letters D O and what, what that really means is that you can decide to do something, right. You could say in your journal and reflect that, I am going to make this change in my game. I'm going to, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to spend the next 
um, few months really dedicated to my serve and uh, trying to get more topspin on my kick serve and my second serve or whatever it may be. Um, but in, in, unless you actually do it, unless you're actually taking action, um, then nothing's ever going to change. So I, I would agree that having somebody um, with you can, can help with that process of actually coming up with the, the journal entries and um, starting that process, but also the um, holding you accountable piece and uh, making sure that you are actually going through with it and taking action on what you say you're going to. I think having somebody there um, can, can definitely make a, make a huge difference when it comes to both the, um, the starting like actually starting the journal and um, becoming consistent with it, but also the accountability piece. Yeah. And it could be an enjoyable process. I think to have that, that type of discussion with a coach, yeah. um, trust advisor, sports psych professional, um, you know, someone also that's really interested in your development as a player. And I don't care how old you are. We're all trying to develop and be and, and improve. We wouldn't be playing this sport if, if that weren't the case. So, um, you know, I, I work with a lot of adults and we do this type of thing and it's, they're often fantastic conversations. Um, you know, when people get started, uh, I don't always give them all of those questions. I might just say, you know, all right, here maybe are some goals that you wanted to, for the match. Just sort of uh, off the top of your head, just write a few extra things about how that went and let it be a little bit more unstructured. Just tell me something you learned. Tell me something that was interesting in the match and that just gets them to maybe free flow a little bit. Um, and that, that's super easy. You're not answering a lot of questions, but we're now we're building the habit of doing some post-match journaling. And once they get good at that, it's like then, okay, now let's... let's Consider some deeper questions, maybe more specific, to get you into this. Um, and that could be a good way for anybody to start. It's like, ah, yeah, you don't have to go sort of the gold standard right away. I'm going to do 21 performance variables. I'm going to you know, do all these questions and have all these assessments and so forth. Just start off with two or three goals that you want to achieve in a match or a practice and then write a little bit about how you did. It could be that simple. Um, but that, that way, at least you're building the habit. I guess that would be sort of like a, a James Clear atomic habit approach, Josh, right? We're starting really tiny and small. We don't want to set people up for failure. Um, and I think that would be true for most of this routine that we're discussing. Yes, you could be the ultimate professional like a, a Leighton Hewitt who would take a, you know, a 10-minute ice bath and maybe Novak Djokovic goes in the hyperbaric chamber and right, there are levels of recovery. Um, if you've ever been to some of these uh, gyms, they have those. I forget the name. You, you probably know it, Josh. Those things that you put on your legs that are like almost like these like balloon type sleeves. Oh yes. Um, they, we had those at Boston College, and so the players could use those for, for recovering. Yeah. So yes, this is there not are... sponsored. This episode not sponsored by <laughs> by the way. Yes. So there are a lot of different things that one could do, but I think it's always good to start with some real basic things, stretching, the eating, hydration, the foam rolling, some basic reflective practice, um, and then you can begin to build from there as you, you know, are able to at least institute the time required to do this. 
Absolutely. No, I really like the suggestion to start small. I think with any with any habit, as we've talked about in the past and previous episodes, um, starting small and building that habit and gaining the confidence um, and um, that 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 you can that you can do the habit on a daily basis or on a you know every time that you're out there, um, and then grow growing from there. So maybe that habit in the beginning is something as small as just a couple minutes of static stretching after you finish. And then you build from there and then you add different pieces. And as you're going, I, I do think it's good to to write things down and to have a list that you can follow um, that maybe includes all of these pieces that you want to incorporate. And maybe, you know, maybe that, that changes or that grows over time. Um, but at least you know, getting started with it. And um, also, I mean, not, not feeling like this, these are just things that you should do on match day, Um, but making sure that um, on practice days, you know, um, you're treating it uh, like a match in the sense of taking it as seriously as possible, taking your recovery seriously, um, because you probably have another practice coming up or you have a tournament coming up or a match or whatever it may be. So um, not just waiting until some of the most important matches to do these, these sorts of things, because then um, they won't be as ingrained as if we're doing it on, you know, every time we're performing. And these are, it's just as important to be doing, to be reflecting and to be physically recovering um, during unpractice days as well. Yeah. So I think if we look at the importance of this routine, it's it's often overlooked, but I think it is an important one. Um, and it can make a difference in your game. You may not see it right away, but over time, I think you will. Um, and so I think uh, this has been a good discussion about, about that routine. It's actually given me some more thoughts uh, of things that I can be doing more regularly in my own uh, my own tennis so, um, well, thank you, Josh. That was a great, great conversation. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. For more on today's episode, please check out our show notes. If you have any feedback or questions, please email us at tennisiqpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use the Twitter hashtag tennisiq. Additionally, please subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice, including YouTube, so you can be notified of new episodes. You can also check out our Instagram page. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon in our next episode.